Amen. How you feeling today? Feeling good? Any, I see we got one Vikings fan in here. Probably have less than we had last week. Uh, I figure now I don't have to worry about going late at 1030 because no one's going to watch the Vikings anyway. Because man, that was... Um, I should stay on topic. All right. Amen. We're going to uh, continue our series on vision. We're doing a fall vision series. One of the great challenges in ministry is just to stay on track, to keep doing the right thing. You get distracted into doing other things. That can be a big problem. Of course, our lives personally and following Christ can be like that, where we're just, we're doing the right thing. We're going with the Lord. We're advancing and getting stronger. And then all of a sudden we realize, wow, it's been three months since I've done a devotion or gone to church. Like, how'd that happen? You know, and we just all of a sudden get off track. And uh, that can happen in a group setting as well. So we do a series on vision periodically to be able to keep things going. And uh, here's a statement I've heard about vision that is just wonderful. I really like it a lot. And it is this. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Amen? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And so that's why we do a vision series, to avoid vision drift, to avoid uh, having church be about anything other than Jesus. Right? When church isn't about Jesus anymore, we've had vision drift. When it's about something else, we've got a problem. And so we want to stay on track. And so we've got our vision statement, which is very simple. It's just reach up, rise up, and reach out. That's our vision statement. We covered that last week. I'm going to summarize that quickly again today. Because did you know Good Hope Church is one of probably, I don't know, we might be the only church in the whole wide world where the people that come to church know the vision statement. You know, like... uh, Hey, it's amazing. We did a thing at a Christmas deal that pastors don't even know the vision statements for their churches. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, how do you stay on track? But here's the deal. We've got a vision statement. It was put together on purpose, and it's what we're about. It's reach up, rise up, and reach out. And the reach up is connect with and stay connected with God. A real relationship with God is possible for you. If you're someone who grew up outside of church, you didn't know anything about it, living a life that's stereotypically non-Christian, a real relationship with Jesus is possible for you. Forgiveness of sins, restoration, that relationship is there for the taking. If you're someone who grew up in church, who is going through the motions and you hear people talking about a real relationship with Jesus and you're like, yeah, that is just, I know how to say that, but I don't know what that feels like. A real relationship with the living God is possible for you. We pray, we worship, we study, we can connect with God. We can be led by the Spirit. A real relationship with the living God is possible for you. That's reach up. Rise up is... Just getting good at being a Christian, getting good at being a follower of Christ. A real relationship with the living God will change you. It will make you a better person. It will bring you into a different place. Amen? And then then reach out. We just rise up and then reach out, uh, which is making a difference. We're called to make a difference. A real relationship with the living God will call you to action. It will call you into productive service for the kingdom of God. 
Reach up, rise up, reach out. A real relationship with the living God is available to you. A real relationship with the living God will change you. And a real relationship with the living God will call you to action. That is our vision statement. Reach up, rise up, reach out. Last week we talked about our theology of the body of Christ. When I was... I, I, I feel blessed. I believe I had the second best religious upbringing possible. Which is zero upbringing in religious things at all. So I had nothing to unlearn when I got saved. That was very helpful. And so I spent 10 years just looking at the Bible and not, list, not reading any commentaries, not reading any theology books, you know, not going to any conferences where they tell you stuff. I'm just like, well, if I've got this lack of knowledge, I might as well read the Bible for what it is without any different colored glasses and see what it says. And I found in here some certain things that are a little bit inconsistent with what the Christian culture has in its, uh, in its mentality. And one of those things we covered last week, and that is the theology of the body of Christ. Do you know how many bodies of Christ there are? According to the Bible, there's one. There's one body and many parts. And that one body is consistent of a whole bunch of different types of people that do a whole bunch of different things and a whole bunch of different groups of people that do a whole bunch of different things that are all on the same team that are working together to advance the kingdom of God and that's the body of Christ. And so we have things like leave that one be. We have things like Good Hope Church where we teach people to connect with God and to grow in their faith and to make a difference. And then we've got things like Young Life, which is a ministry to unchurched high school students. We're a church and we want people to come and then do church well. But somebody needs to reach people that are outside of church. Well, we're busy. We're building stuff and you know, we're all, we got lots of stuff to do. There are other organizations that will reach out into the, into the schools and touch people and bring them into a relationship uh, who would not come here. Well, so we need organizations like that. There's all kinds of different uh, pieces of the body of Christ. And just like the missionaries we support, Aaron and JP, if you want to support them, you got to go over to Journey Christian Church and write them a check because that's who, that's who supports them. So you can go over there. There's different churches. We're all on the same team, serving the same God, fighting for the same cause, and working together, or else we got a problem. There is one body, many parts. We need to work together for the kingdom of God. Amen? It's the theology of the body of Christ. It may be a dysfunctional body, but it is one. All right, let's pray. We'll get into some new material this morning. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, for uh, your guidance, that you don't leave us down here to wander around, do the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit and you guide us by your word. Help us to see what your word's got for us today. Bless our time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Vision part two, expectation of growth, expectation of growth. We want to expect to grow. Reach out means to make a difference. Making a difference 
is growth. And there's two primary types of growth. There's internal growth and external growth, right? There's my spiritual growth inside of me. How many people am I after I've grown significantly spiritually? I'm still one person. There's no numerical growth involved in personal spiritual growth. However, there's also numerical growth. When someone else comes in and starts growing in their faith, now there's two of us. Well, that's numerical growth. So we've got internal growth. We've got external growth. We've got individual, personal strengthening as growth. And then we've got numerical, organizational increase as growth. And so far, so good with Good Hope Church. We'll be uh, five years old October 10th. Yeah, very excited. That's a Saturday night, so we'll actually have church. And uh, we're going to have cake. You know, we've got to have cake. I love cake. I, I, my wife says I'm in charge of that. Am I in charge of the cake? Oh, no. I sense a missed opportunity there for delegation. I'm, oh, played, played that one wrong. All right, so I just added something to myself. All right, well, I love cake, and so I'm highly motivated to make sure there is cake. So there will be cake for our fifth birthday as Good Hope Church. 2010, when we started, we were October, November, December. For that year, we averaged 70 people in attendance. It's not too bad, is it? It's pretty legit. Uh, July, uh, July average was 288. August was 279 for the whole weekend. So that's, that's like 400% more than where we started. So isn't that good? Yeah, that's good. It, it is good. The sermon's going to be on, that's good. So what if we kept growing? Wouldn't that be something? If we had the same percentage growth, that'd be like over 1,100 people five years from now. That'd be something. Well, that's exactly it. There would have to be some things changing because they would not fit here, right? That's just not how that goes. We'll talk about some strategies later on in the sermon. But what I want to talk about specifically is church growth and how sometimes Christians don't like church growth. And there's Basically, two types or two groups of Christians who don't like church growth. There's the evil ones, <laughs> and then there's the good ones. Did you know there's good, honest, solid Christians who don't like church growth? Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But let's talk about the evil ones first. All right? Do you know about the Pharisees in the Bible? You know, the Pharisees were like super upset that John the Baptist was baptizing people because they're like, hey, they should come to us and they're going to John, you know, and they wanted to get in on that deal and John yelled at them and called them snakes and all that sort of stuff. And then when Jesus was doing stuff, they were super upset that people were following Jesus so much so that they said the miracles he does is because of the devil's work, not because of God. They tried to undermine his ministry by calling what God was doing, what the devil was doing. That's pretty significantly evil, right? If God is doing something wonderful and I don't like it, so I say it's the devil, that's a problem. That's the people of God being evil and creating a situation where bad things are happening even though God is doing good things. That's, that's just evil people. Um, I shouldn't get too up. 
crazy about this, but let me tell you a story about a guy that I know and love. He's a pastor in Babbitt, Minnesota. He's been pastoring there for 15 years. Super great guy. Uh, and he was, he was in jail, got saved, you know, the whole thing. It's easy to give your life to Christ when you're at rock bottom. So he gave his life to Christ and started serving God and got called into ministry. And he was pastoring in a particular church. And they had about 30 people when he showed up. And he's just like, God can change your life because he's changed mine. And he goes into the schools and he's getting teenagers to come to church and he's going into the town and he's getting town people to come to church and pretty soon they got like a hundred people coming to church people are getting saved people are getting set free you know like church is going good and then the annual meeting came around he'd been there for a year and uh, it was according to their bylaws you vote on the pastor after a year you know see if you want to keep them and all the new people weren't members yet, of course, because they're new. But all the old people were like, we don't like all this noise. You know, we, we, we liked it the way it was before. So they voted him out and got, got rid of him. And now that church is closed and he was, you know, he was profoundly damaged and that sort of a thing. And that's just evil, right? That's evil people doing evil things. And that's what uh, James talks about in chapter 3. He's talking to church people about church people doing things. And that's chapter 3, verse 14 through 16. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice." Envy and selfish ambition that characterized the Pharisees. It characterized the church members that voted my friend out. It's just evil. It's bad stuff. It's when I look at another ministry and go, oh, they're doing better than us. Then that is just evil. Right? But here's the deal. There can be those people in the pews, but mostly those types of people are up front. Yeah. <laughs> Right? Those selfish ambition types with regards to church. They're usually the leaders of the church. And so, most of the time, the congregation is really good people. At least that's what I've seen. So, praise God for that. So, let's talk about that. Is it possible that you can have just really good, solid, honest, quality believers who get nervous when you start talking about church growth? Who don't really like the idea? Who are a little concerned? I think so. And I'll give you two primary reasons, I think there can be other reasons, why uh, Christians who are good, solid Christians don't really like church growth. Reason number one is false growth. And reason number two is lost connections. False growth and lost connections. So let's talk about false growth for a little bit. Um, Let me define it for you. False growth... And my definition is, when the local church grows, but the kingdom of God does not. When the local church grows, but the kingdom of God does not. Now, when a good, solid, quality believer sees the local church growing, but it makes no difference for the kingdom of God. Like, for example, uh, 
you know, Good Hope is an assembly of God church. And, you know, we planted the church five years ago and they told us, you got to have a pig roast and bounce houses if you're going to start a church. Pig roast, bounce houses, that's how you do it. So all the churches, they get a pig roast, the bounce house, they get a bunch of people. And, and then they like, look how many people came to our launch service. Well, what did they come for? They came for a pig roast and bounce houses. Yeah, they didn't come for Jesus. You know, we, we had 88 people at our launch service. Another different friend of mine, they had 200 at their launch service. Who's doing better? Well, they got 200, you know. We got 88. The second week, we had 70. The second week, they had 70. Well, they had 130 people that were there for the pig roast in the bounce house. Well, then the other 70 are like, where's everybody else? You know, I thought we had 200 people coming to church. Like, no. False growth can leave a bad taste in your mouth. Another church I respect, wonderfully awesome people, they decided we want to have a bunch of people come to church on Easter. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a drawing. And if you win the drawing, we'll pay your mortgage for a year. So, put it out there. Come to church. We're going to have a drawing. If you win a drawing, if you're a new visitor, you win a drawing, we'll pay your mortgage for a year. So, a whole bunch of people came, right? Is that kingdom growth? No, that's just people want to get their mortgage paid. Why not? I'd love to get my mortgage paid. That'd be sweet. But it has nothing to do with my relationship with Jesus. It's false growth. It's, it's playing with numbers to try to get people to show up so you can pad your statistics. Then false growth isn't super awesome. So can you see how a good solid believer might not like that? Let's work on this a little bit. Just say, Amen. Amen. Very, that's so much better. It makes me feel good. Let's do that one more time. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's do this one. Preach it, brother. Yeah, one more time. Preach it, brother. Yeah, woo, that's what I'm talking about. There we go, there we go. You know, in the old days, we didn't have to do transitions between songs because the congregation was just loud. You know what I mean? They're just like, whoa, and they're just worshiping. You didn't have to worry about how you transition because it's just everybody was noisy. Now everybody's like, oh, they're going to start another song. Shh. You know, like, ah, just worship, it's okay. I distract myself. I've got to be careful about that. What am I doing? Let's see. All right. So false growth, that's just yucky stuff. Uh, leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. How do we combat that? How do we combat false growth? Well, you don't do it by stunting the kingdom of God, right? But... You just be honest. You try to help people connect with God. Try to help people grow in their faith. Try to help people make a difference. And that's real growth. So that's what we do. Reach up, rise up, reach out. Not false growth, real growth. Let's talk about lost connections. If you've been part of a church that's grown, like we've gone from 70 to 280, you know, like, that's a different dynamic. You know, we used to have one service. Now we have three. We used to have one pastor who didn't get paid as much. Now we've got like four decently paid staff. Well, some people would say not decently paid. But, uh, you know, (laughs) it's actually getting paid. You know, I mean, like, uh, it's it's a good deal. And so the dynamics are different. Life is different. And being part of a church of 70 
is a different thing than being part of a church of 280. It, it can be a sort of thing where all of a sudden now you feel like you're lost in the crowd and like, oh, you know, like I used to have friends and now I, I don't even, they might be there, but I don't even see them. It, you know, and it, it can be a problem. People can feel like they're lost in the crowd. Is that a real concern? So you're all scared. Here's the answer to that. Yes, it is. Connection is a legitimate need. And making sure that we make the right changes so that people can stay connected and feel part of what's going on is a real need and we need to address it and deal with it so that the real needs are met. You thought I was just going to say, suck it up. This is the kingdom of God, right? No, it's a real need. Connection is a real need. Being part of what's going on is a real need. We want to be able to address those real needs. So how do we combat that? Well, again, not by stunting the kingdom of God. We want to look at how we do. All right. I better get into the sermon here. All right, let's play a numbers game. Last night, congregation got these all right. I had to help them a little bit, but they got them all right. Let's play a numbers game. How many disciples did Jesus have? Twelve. Very good. How many people did Jesus feed with the loaves and the fishes? 5,000. Was there another number as well? He did it twice. He did 5,000. That was the cool one because the number's bigger, so we talk about that one. There was another one where the number was smaller. 4,000. Very good. He fed 5,000 plus women and children, probably 10 to 15,000. And then 4,000 plus women and children. Again, big number. How many people were in the upper room after all that stuff happened at the beginning of Acts? There's, you know, all the believers fall away. There's a certain number left in the upper room. How many is that? 120. I heard it back there. All right. How many people got saved on the day of Pentecost? 3,000. Well done. 3,000. 3,000. Look at that. So here we go. Yeah. 12 disciples. We got... 4,000, 5,000 separate situations where Jesus feeds with the loaves and the fishes. We've got 120 in the upper room. We've got 3,000 get saved on the day of Pentecost. Here's the deal. The number was counted and recorded in the Bible. Each person counted, and I mean, they, they counted them. And that number was recorded in the Bible. Do numbers matter to God? Well, people are counted And the numbers are recorded in Holy Scripture. So that's a big deal. Numbers are important. Let's look at a biblical example of church growth. See what happened. And see how they dealt with it. We're going to start with the 120. Of course... There was four, 5,000, maybe 15,000, if you count women and children, that were following Jesus around, wouldn't leave him alone. He's healing people. He's teaching the throngs of people. And then he gets crucified, and everybody runs away. And now, after the, uh, the, the crucifixion, the ascension, we're looking at about you know seven weeks later, we've got 120 believers left. Like less than half of the people that come to Good Hope Church on a regular basis were how many followers of Christ were left after the crucifixion. 120. They're, they're all together. They're praying together. They're united and strong. And then the day of Pentecost happens and 
the, the Holy Spirit falls on them and they start speaking in, in other languages because there's all these people from all these different regions in Jerusalem. So they come stumbling out of the upper room. You know, some people are thinking, well, there wasn't enough oxygen in there. It was a small room or whatever. Like, oh, they're all drunk because they're stumbling around. But they're speaking the wonders of God in the languages of the people who have traveled from afar. And then Peter addresses the crowd. Now, a month and a half earlier, Peter was so scared that he was denying that he'd ever met Jesus. Now, seven weeks later, he's standing up and saying, hey guys, now listen to me, listen to me. This is, these people are not drunk. This is what the prophet Joel talked about. The Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh in the last days. And he's saying, and you guys have really messed up because this Jesus that you didn't like very much, God has risen him from the dead. He is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. And he's just yelling at them. And they're all like, ah! And that's where we're going to pick it up. Here in Acts chapter 2, in verse 36. Verse 36. So Peter is talking to the crowd. And they've seen this great miracle. Now they're, they're, they're listening to Peter and he says this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the others, other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now, you've got to love it when the congregation is like that. What do you want me to do? Well, he tells them, verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So who's this promise for? It's for them, the ones who said, crucify. And it's for their children. And for everybody everywhere else and everybody into the future. Like, everybody. This is for everybody. Hallelujah for that. Verse 40. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 were added to their number. So they counted them, 3,120. Now it's 3,120. Talk about church growth. That's pretty significant growth. Was that authentic real growth or was it false growth? This is real growth. They were cut to the heart. They're like, what should we do? And, and Peter explains it to them. You know, believe, be baptized. You know, you get your sins forgiven, you can come on in. And so you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Come on. And so 3,000 of them were like, I'm in. I'm in. And they came in. It was not false growth. It was real growth. Were there any lost connections with this type of growth? Be careful. The Sunday school answer, no, because this was God. Yes, there were lost connections. Let's go to chapter 6 of the book of Acts. As the church continues to grow, they run into some problems. Chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, again, growth, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. 
So they developed a feeding program for the widows that were inside the church so that they could have their needs met because back then, you know, if somebody didn't help you out, if you couldn't meet your own needs, you're just on your own. So the church was like, okay, we're going to feed the ladies that need, need some help because they don't have families to take care of them. So the Hebraic Jews, the Hebrew ones, were getting fed because they're on the inside group, right? They're the Hebrews. But the Greek ones were getting forgotten because they're on the outside. You know, they're just they're not as important. They're just not in the inner circle. The, uh, the 12 disciples were Hebraic. And so the inner group was getting taken care of, but the outer group was getting forgotten. Is that okay? No, not okay. And it's being on basically on racial lines. Not only is it the inner circle gets all the good stuff, but it's also racially divisive. Is this a potential problem for the early church in the book of Acts? Oh man. Let's look at how they handled it. Verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Yeah, that's good. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. So the twelve get together. They're like, what are we going to do? Let's have a big meeting. They get everybody together. They're like, all right, we need to add staff. We're going to hire seven people. Except... uh, We're not going to hire them. You hire them. Choose seven men from among you. You guys take care of that. So, that's the plan. Verse 4. And we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So, the twelve were like, hey, this, you know, they wouldn't have said this, but hey, this is the birth of the church age. This is the New Testament church. We're the apostles. We need to tell people about God. We need to explain the situation. We can't be too busy, you know, feeding widows, but the widows need to get fed, so we need to find some other people to do that. So, that's what they do. And verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. So, seven men were chosen. I'm not a linguist, but people tell me all of these names are Greek names. So the the Hebrews were getting taken care of. The inner circle was the Hebrew people. The Greek people were on the outside, and all seven of these were Greeks. The outsiders were brought to the inside so that their needs could be met, and one of them was a Gentile, a convert to Judaism. Not even a a Jew. A Greek Gentile is brought in in this inner circle group. I wonder how that worked. Let's look at the next verse, verse 6. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Very good, verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God spread. The number of disciples increased rapidly. So, 
They had lost connection. Real needs were going unmet. Widows weren't getting fed. That's a problem. They said, how are we going to meet this need? They They didn't say, well, we need to stop growing. They said, we need to make some organizational changes. We need to add staffing. We need to make sure we add staff from the people who are feeling left out. So seven Greeks came in and did the job. You know about Stephen? That, that's the Stephen of Stephen the martyr. He started, well, he was doing stuff before that, but the first thing he's recorded as doing in the Bible is going to help out the widows and feeding the widows. Then he gets into that big public thing where he's telling about Jesus and they kill him. He got his start feeding widows. They made organizational changes in order to be able to keep the kingdom of God growing. So the growth was sustained, the needs got met, the number of disciples increased rapidly. What if those seven were incompetent? Would that have worked out? It wouldn't have worked out. They were good men. They were strong. They were full of the Holy Spirit. They were competent. They did well. Hallelujah for them. All right, let's talk about us for a little bit. What sort of growth should we expect at Good Hope Church in the future? Here's the answer. Just be faithful. Right? That's the answer. Just be faithful. If we are faithful, God will do his part. Our job is to be faithful. My job is to not give false goals because false goals create pressure. Pressure creates sketchy tactics and sketchy tactics create false growth. And we don't want to have false growth, so we're not going to have false goals. So we're going to say, be faithful. If there's something you need to do to serve the Lord, do it. Then the kingdom will advance. But we're not going to make up false goals. But I do know this. As we grow, we will need to make organizational changes so that all the legitimate needs of people can get met. As I mentioned earlier, if we keep on the same growth pattern... Five years from now, we'll have 1,100 people. Is that possible here? Absolutely not. Let me tell you about one particular organizational change that I think might be very helpful as far as helping us to grow, and that is church planting. That is multiplying congregations rather than, you know, like, let's knock this place down and build a whole great big bigger one. Let me tell you, We've got people from all over the region coming to church here. We could plant churches in all kinds of different communities. We've got people from Duluth coming here. You know, we've got people from Barnum. We've got people from Cromwell. We've got people from Esco. We've got people from Proctor. We've got people from all over coming to church here. And we've got like five worship leaders. We've got all kinds of people who are stepping into ministry situations. And we can plant churches. And then people can use their ministry giftings 
people can have connection and we can have greater impact for the kingdom of God. The potential is there. How many churches will Good Hope Church plant? Again, no false goals. Depends on how many church planters rise up in the congregation. We get, we get a situation we can believe in. We'll support it. That's how that works. We're going to close. I'm going to invite the prayer. I could just keep talking, but we're going to close. I'm going to invite the prayer team up and try to tie this into a good altar call. In Acts chapter 6, seven men had to step up in order for the kingdom of God to continue to advance. Because that was a dangerous situation. When, when a widow isn't getting taken care of, that's a problem. When a group of them isn't getting taken care of, and it's like, hey, I mean, it could have been a real serious problem. But instead, seven men stood up and said, we'll take this responsibility and we'll do it. We've been maturing ourselves spiritually. We've been growing into who we're supposed to be. Now is the time we're stepping in. We're going to do it. If those seven hadn't stepped up, people would have still fallen through the cracks and it would have been a camp. But they stepped up. The kingdom of God needs people to step up today just as much as the kingdom needed people to step up back then. Maybe that's you. Maybe there's something that's in your heart that you're ready to walk into. Pray it through and be faithful. Let's close. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you for your kindness and love. And Lord, let us not hoard that for ourselves, but let us share your kindness and love with everybody who needs a touch from you in this world. Lord, to the extent we are able. Father, we want your kingdom to advance. We want people who are broken to be be healed. We want people who are self-condemned to be forgiven and set free. We want people to know your love. And we don't want to be a hindrance to that. So, Lord, show us how to manage that organizationally. But, Lord, I pray for each one in here where we need to step up, show us, give us strength so that we don't hold you back, but that we're able to see what your mighty hand can do. Lord, bless us. Give us strength so that you can do what you want to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Guide us, Lord, I pray for a prompting in people's hearts. If you're calling them, show them. We give you praise. Bless us, Lord. Let your name be praised in this area. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite people forward for personal prayer. If you've got a prayer need, whatever it is, you need to find Jesus, come get prayer. You need healing physically, relationally. You need a financial miracle. You just need encouragement. Come down, receive prayer. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Say hi to somebody you don't know. Encourage them in the Lord. Make sure you peek downstairs if you haven't been there.